Let us read God's word from Matthew 5:27 to 32. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Thank you, Heather, for reading. Obviously, this is uh, in a serious portion of teaching. And if, if you haven't been with us to this point, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at this teaching of Jesus. And pretty much every week, I've asked you to at least think about who, would have, who could have been, who might have been in the crowd the day Jesus delivered this sermon, the day Jesus gave this teaching. I think that's helpful for us. Because the net effect of what Jesus said, we're told in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the net effect was that people were blown away by his authority and by what he taught. And so it's helpful for me to kind of think through, okay, who, who might have been in that crowd today? And certainly as I think about that, I can also recognize Jesus knew there would be gatherings like this. So he, he would know who would be in the crowd today here at Ogletown. Surely there were a variety of people as Jesus delivered that sermon the first time. Could there have been people who had maybe even recently walked through a painful divorce and they're listening to Jesus teach what Heather just read? Could there be a a man who is struggling and winning or losing in the battle with lust and he hears Jesus speak very frankly, very candidly? Could it be that there was a teenager who was beginning to form their convictions on what's right and wrong in these areas of morality and sexual behavior? Could there have been a a single who is wondering if God's purpose for her, for him, would ever be marriage? Could there have been a person that was struggling with attraction to someone of the same gender? Could there have been someone in that crowd? Could there have been a a child who was truly the innocent victim in a, a very messy, complicated divorce? Could there have been someone in the crowd? Could there have been a, a woman struggling with sexual desire outside the covenant of marriage? Could there have been in that crowd today? Could there be someone here today who is a spouse who has felt the pain of adultery? Could there have been in front of Jesus an adult with regret? Standing next to or sitting next to an adult with a very flimsy excuse. 
Could there have been all kinds of people listening to Jesus? Maybe they all were there still. Jesus said some very, very difficult things and yet made some things very clear. And so I, I, I cannot help you. It doesn't help you if I or any preacher or teacher you ever hear. It does not help you if I apologize for Jesus by making things sound a little bit less difficult than he, he clearly said they were. It doesn't, it doesn't help you at all if I kind of hem-haw around and go, well, what he meant was, and actually there's a, we want to hear Jesus clearly. We've just sung to him, but if he has any authority for us to sing to him, shouldn't we listen to him clearly? I think we should. It doesn't also help you if I decide in this moment to use pastoral privilege to beat everybody down who's ever, who's ever lusted, who's ever been unfaithful, who's ever thought about divorce, who's ever actually divorced. It doesn't It doesn't help any cause if I see that as my assignment today. It does not help you also if I just try to say a few things and get cute and try to hold your attention with with a few things that will shock you so maybe you'll listen. I I don't really care if you listen to me as much as I want to make sure we're all listening very carefully to Jesus. So the path I've chosen, and just so you kind of have a, a framework, an idea where we're going today. First of all, I really do want us to dig in carefully to what Jesus has said. And a lot of this will be familiar. I would imagine if you've been in church much, this maybe isn't even the first time you've heard these kind of words read. But I want us to dig in. So that's first. I want to make sure we realize marriage really mattered to Jesus. Whether it matters or not to you when you walk out, I want you to know for, for certain that it mattered to Jesus. And he spoke clearly about it. Then I also, I do want to, exercise like a moment of pastoral privilege and just kind of speak from my heart of how this particular passage, this section of scripture applies to us today. I I have to do that because we live in a world that is messed up by sin, which makes the commands of Jesus even necessary. I have to to encourage you and, and exhort you because I have a rebellious heart just like you have a rebellious heart that gets stubborn and we want our own way. I have to encourage you and exhort you to let's obey Jesus here because we have an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so because of all those things, I I want to encourage us to walk with the Lord. And in all this, I'd like to close our time with just maybe a brief glimpse, and there'll only be time for a brief glimpse into why marriage matters so much, why Jesus talks about it so much, why the Bible has this kind of underlying theme from Genesis 2, even to Revelation 21 and 22, why this theme of marriage goes all the way through in the first place. There's no way to cover every single scripture, answer every single question, cover every sort of scenario that might be in our minds today. No no chance we can do that. However, we can can do a few things, and I, I want us to dig there. So let's start here. Let's start with making sure we're clear on what Jesus said. Let's make sure we're clear on what he said. And I'd like to read that first part of the command again in Matthew chapter 5. and verse 27, because Jesus says, You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That comes from the Ten Commands that had been for, you know, what, 1,500 years, the part of Israel's history, the instruction, the law. Jesus says, but I say to you, and now he's going to fill out that command. He said he's come to fulfill the law, not abolish it, not abolish instruction, but fill it out. He's going to fill it saying, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has committed adultery already with her in his heart. It's an intensified, deepened command, isn't it? Jesus is filling this out. What I don't hear Jesus talking about, in, even in those verses, it's not as if in the Old Testament, 
you could lust all you want and it was no problem. God had no problem with that stuff in the Old Testament, but Jesus came going, now I got a new thing to kind of put on you. No, nobody, nobody reading their Bible thinks that. That it was always okay to lust until Jesus said not to. This was always the intent. Jesus all, always w- would have known this was the destructive path that, that lust, could, lust could walk down if left unchecked. And, and so he says it, and, and, and it needed to be said. It needed to be said boldly. Maybe in Jesus' time, certainly in our time, there's this kind of growing culture where maybe there's a, a little bitty rule of, yeah, no, no physical sex outside of marriage, but everything else is kind of, you, you just do whatever, do whatever you want. Do whatever makes you feel good. Do whatever feels right in the moment. And Jesus gives us the real goal for what he really wants for those who will follow him. So you, do you say... You're a follower of Jesus. Well, this is what he says. I don't think just to the men, especially to the men, but I think also to, to the family of God, sons and daughters of God, he would say this sexual purity and the will to wage decisive warfare. This is the way someone has said it. Wage decisive warfare against any unfaithful lust is part of what it means to be his follower. Sexual purity and the willing to wage decisive warfare against any unfaithful lust is part of what it means to follow him. What is this, like, decisive warfare? Well, we see it in verse 29. Can, can you keep following along? In verse 29, Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, then just tear it out. Throw it away. You don't want to go to hell, do you? I mean, that's what Jesus is asking. And, and he says, even in verse 30, If your right hand causes you to sin, just cut it off and throw it away. You don't want to go to hell, do you? I mean, Jesus is, is telling us some pretty strong things. He's giving practical advice, but he reveals some, some potential serious consequences for not listening to him. He says, you're not in a playground. And, and we've got to remember that because this world presents it. Like every commercial that comes at us, every novel that seems to be on the, on the, the bestseller list, everything that's coming at us says, this world is just a playground. And you do whatever you want to. And it really doesn't matter sexually, whatever you give yourself to, it really doesn't matter. You can think about whatever you want. You can fantasize about whatever you want. You can watch whatever you want. And we kind of think this world is a playground. I can do whatever I want to do. And Jesus says it's not. It's a battlefield. It's a battlefield. You're at war. So in these words, he's telling telling us, take take it seriously enough to sacrifice a great deal. Take my words seriously enough that even if it means discomfort and pain as you reach out for a greater goal, do that even if it means you hurt, even if it means you willingly subject yourself to the loss of something that you really liked, that you really found like, useful. Jesus said, so that you avoid hell, go to extreme measures. I hear that, and I think since the first time I heard that, and like I grew up as a kid in church, but there, there certainly comes a time when you process, oh, this is what's being talked about here. These desires... So I don't know when I first processed that. But as you, as you begin to process what Jesus is saying here, you begin to ask questions. So like, oh, so you mean I can't look at... So Jesus would want me to stop watching. And then you ask those questions, right, mentally. Like, is he really saying that I, I shouldn't ever? And I'm, I'm telling you, probably 95% of those questions where you go, should I, can I ever... 
Probably the answer is, yeah, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. And no, you should never. And yes, it would be wise to cut this out of your life. I think most of the time, that is exactly what Jesus is saying. If he's saying, God, try out if it's causing you to sin. And Jesus certainly knew. I mean, if you, you can lust with, with two eyes being gouged out. He, he knew that, right? You can lust with having two hands cut off. He, he knew that. But he's saying there are extreme measures to be taken here. Are, are we willing to take them? Are we willing to come to terms with what Jesus is saying? So much of our, I found this in my life, so much of my obedience to Jesus is already predetermined on whether I take him seriously enough to say he's got authority to tell me yes or no in this particular area. Because if I come to him, like, leaving my options open, going, well, Jesus, you, you made a good point, but there's others, other things I'd like to consider. I feel these urges. I feel these compulsions. I kind of want this. Other people say. I look at kind of other things. If you minimize Jesus' voice, I think you've already made the decision. You're, you're walking down that path. If you say, Jesus, you're just one voice among many here. But if you listen to Jesus as the authoritative voice in your life, especially in these matters of sexual immorality, it's wise to listen to him because he made the world. So he knows how it best works. Jesus spoke clearly. Do we hear him on this? So he gives another command too, and it's related. It's, it's distinct but related in verse 31 and verse 32. So he's, he's not done talking about marriage, adultery, God's people, sexual immorality. So he says, it was said also, whoever divorces his wife, let him give, give her a certificate of divorce. This comes from Deuteronomy. So Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus is giving another intensified, deepened command. What he's doing is saying that there is no such thing as an easy get-out-of-marriage-free card. That there's no such thing of that. And that would come into a culture that was really, really working hard to find that. Yeah, it doesn't matter. There's lots of reasons. Except this, except this, except this, except for my exception. As a matter of fact, even ancient sources, ancient historians would write and say, this particular time there was a real debate on whether you could just divorce a, a wife. And often the women were the ones in a male-dominated society. The women were the ones left vulnerable by these kinds of, of things going on. And I think that's specifically why Jesus has targeted particularly men in this. Is it just okay for any reason? Things had gotten so far away from the original intent of God in Genesis 2, where he says, for this cause, for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and joins together. The two become one flesh. And Jesus would add kind of as an exclamation point, whatever God joins together, no one should separate. No one should tear it asunder. He narrows the cause for a sanctioned divorce to this particular exception in the case of, and even then he doesn't say it must happen if there's been adultery or immorality. But, but he, he narrows it down to this small thing because the ultimate goal always, always of marriage from Genesis 2 was always, always a lifelong love of marriage partners. And there's serious consequences for not listening to God on this. 
the people who thought, well, I could just divorce for a lot of reasons, would have been sorely disappointed to hear God's will on this matter that day. So when you put, a, put, put together the, these two commands, what I, what, I, what I would have to tell you is, you got, what, six verses here that we, we've looked at? Those six verses don't exhaust the teaching of the Bible on this subject. We just don't have time. We don't have time to dig in for the next 45 minutes on Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, but the Bible talks about it there. We don't have time to go over even Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the Bible talks a lot about marriage and God's people and their relationship with him there. We don't have time to really unpack Matthew 19, where Jesus even expands this particular teaching. We don't have time to go to Ephesians chapter 5. I preached on that a while back, of, of what, what God intends marriage to be. We don't have time to go to 1 Peter 3. I preached on that a while back, of, of how God envisions marriage to represent uh, who he is. So there, there's so much more. First Corinthians 7 talks about divorce and remarriage. There's so much else that we could cover, but I do want to make sure, if we don't have time to cover all that, I do want to make sure we hear from the Lord clearly here. Because when it comes to God's people and marriage, God is all about purity and permanence. Let me just wrap our minds and our hearts around those words, purity and permanence. And by the way, that's never because God decided that he really did not like the human race and he would make it just miserable for them. And the way he would do that is by telling them, be pure and keep your marriage permanent. Did you know God designed the purity and permanence of marriage for our good? This is always, always for our good. It is a really good thing. So in the first service, 830, right behind me sat two people that have recently celebrated their 55th wedding anniversary. And I look at them and I look at the smiles on their face and realize they've weathered some very, very difficult storms. But something's good. Something is good. You think their grandchildren don't think this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Whatever else, society, however else we've made a mess of marriage, that's a good thing. When, when, I, when I go to a funeral and, and your heart is just breaking and tears are being shed because someone is saying goodbye to the person that was their best friend in life and they'd been married to them all those years and they'd been faithful to that marriage covenant. And maybe they had fell, but God had shown grace and, and held them together. That's good. And everybody recognizes at the funeral that day, that is something good. You see, that's exactly what Jesus is trying to protect. I remember being so impacted by this video I saw of a chapel service at Columbia International University. And in it, it was the chapel service where the president resigned. And the president, it was uh, Dr. McQuilkin, resigned. And in his resignation, he said, I am resigning to go take care of my wife who has Alzheimer's. And don't think I'm making any sort of sacrifice today. I'm not making a sacrifice. This is the joy of my life to care for someone who's cared for me so well. And in my heart, I'm emotionally going, that is, that is good. And we all, you don't even have to be a Christian to know that is something beautiful and good. And that is exactly, that's exactly what Jesus is protecting here. So are we clear on what Jesus is saying? He's saying it for our good. Are we, are we clear on what Jesus is saying when it comes to sexual desire and marriage? Does your view, and, and here I do want to get personal, does your view of what is acceptable to think about, to look at, to scroll through, does it line up with what Jesus says in this passage? Does it line up there? If it doesn't, what's really going on? 
Be honest with yourself enough to go, yeah, I think it's okay to, I think it's okay to lust. And, and practically you're saying that because you're, you're addicted to pornography. I think it's okay for me to look at this every day. Then I, then I ask us, like, let's, let's make sure we hear from Jesus who sets the boundaries, the goals, the aims of the sexual desires you have. Who, who determines that? Who defines marriage for you? Who says what's in bounds for marriage and what's not? Our culture, I feel like half the time we're making it up as we go. Just kind of whatever feels right. It's like the kid that always would annoy you on the playground because as you're playing the game, he's the one changing the rules. And the rules always seem to benefit him. And he decides he doesn't like that rule anymore and he changes it. Could we be doing that with marriage? Could we be doing that with our, our sexual desires? Could we be saying, oh, I, think I'm, I think this is okay now. And actually, I kind of feel like this would make me happy, so this is okay now. And Jesus will not let us do that. We might even want to say, Curtis, that's, you know, that's strong, but I have this unique situation and it's really hard and it's really complicated to explain, but so I do want you to hear me because I, I realize this is strong. I do want you to hear me. I, it's not as if I have like one gear and one piece of advice. Uh, suck it up, tough it out, quit being a crybaby. There you go. That's, that's all you need to hear because I actually I don't think it's that simplistic. Actually, what I am saying, though, is that before you begin to walk in a path of defiance to what Jesus says, before you take one more step down that road, but before you decide that you're going to cover your sin any longer, before you lie to your parents, before you lie to your spouse, before you lie to your friends, before you lie to your brothers and sisters in Christ, before you kind of nurture this secret place of sin in your life that no one else knows about and justify it, but before, before you tell yourself that it worked out for so-and-so and it's going to work out for me, I just got to do what I got to do. Before you listen to the people, you know, the, the guys and gals at work that always just tell you what you want to hear anyway, kind of always are nodding your head, whatever they say, before you, you take that, before you tell yourself that it really doesn't matter what you do as long as you just follow your heart and you make sure yourself, that you're happy first and foremost, before you go down any of that path, what I'm telling you is let Jesus' words, even the really hard ones, be loud to you. Don't turn those down. And I think you owe it to yourself. I think I owe it to myself to ask questions from people who might even give a difficult answer. So I know, I know I'm talking to people that are married and not married. I know I'm talking to 15-year-olds. I know I'm talking to 75-year-olds today. What, what I value is that we hear from Jesus and that we go, whatever he says, that goes at this church. That goes for my life. That goes for the counsel that I would give to someone else. So that, that's what Jesus says. Just briefly here, some, some pastoral words. And what, 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 I, what I'm not doing is I'm not going to take personal private conversations that I've had with some of you, not, certainly not all of you, and, and just bring those kind of into the pulpit. What, what I do think, though, is 
pastored here over 10 years. Before that, I was a, a pastor at a church in Tennessee for uh, six, seven years. And so you, you see things. And so pastorally, this is, this is what's on my heart. And I, I'm not even so much talking to you. You get to overhear what I'm telling my own heart, okay? So on this, I think there are a couple different scenarios. And one scenario might be everything's going well in one or both of these areas. And so I want to talk to you for a moment. If you say, when I hear you talk about lust, Curtis, I have to say, by the grace of God, praise the Lord, things are going well. When I hear you talk about marriage, praise God, I, I feel like I'm thinking rightly about marriage. So if that's you, I want to speak to you. I want to tell you, first of all, don't be naive. Don't be naive. I don't, I don't say this to scare you, but, but be on guard. Realize that there is always potential that your life could be shipwrecked because you have an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy like a roaring lion. He's seeking to devour you. Don't be naive, but be on guard. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed. Beware lest we fall. If, if any of you are spiritual and you're trying to help other people who are caught up in problems, you ought to consider yourself, Galatians 6 says, because you could be tempted also. In this area of lust, you say things are going well, and I say thing, you could stumble. We're just kind of one, one moment away from opening up our heart to just the path of sexual sin that may lead us to hell. Or, or when it comes to marriage, you, you may say it's, it's like in a good place. And I'd say, yeah, but if you neglected certain things that you're practicing now, couldn't it blow up? It'll be 17 years on May 19th that Sean and I have been married. And even as we were talking about last night, and, and I, I feel like our marriage is in a good place, and I'm grateful for that. You can get her assessment if you'd like after church. I think it's the same. But what haunts me is, is there are people that were married the same year we were, that were in the same Sunday school classes we were in, that are no longer married, that got, got divorced a year or two, have kids the same age as ours. Be on guard, which also leads me to urge and urge. Keep constantly and consciously devoting yourself. So here'd be my second piece of counsel here. Devote yourself to the things that are good See, it's not enough to go on autopilot. It's not enough if you got a good marriage or things are going well in, in your thought life and you're, you're doing well. Well, praise the Lord for that. But, but don't think you can go on autopilot. This is something that we must, we must give attention to. So keep pursuing purity. Keep cultivating gratitude for your marriage. Go deeper in your love and deeper in your sacrifice and, and recognize that you ought to feel less entitled to things than you used to feel. Let God's work do a deep work in your life. Pursue, pursue counseling and friendship. Be honest. Be, be humble. Be a friend to others. Work. Be, be aware. Keep, keep pursuing these things. What are important routines that you've got to keep so that nothing else escalates? Ask yourself, ask yourself, especially in these areas of purity and marriage, what, what could it be that could sabotage my obedience to Jesus? What could it be? You're single, what might it be? You're married, what might it be that would sabotage? Or, or, or another way of asking that, what, what could or would or will lay the groundwork for you to betray Jesus in the areas we're talking about? What, what would lay that groundwork? And some things are expected. I mean, you, you think this relationship that's gone way over the line, it's inappropriate. You're flirting with things, and you, you know it. You know it. 
You think, well, yeah, that would sabotage my obedience to Jesus. That would lead, that would lay the groundwork for me to betray Jesus. Some things are obvious, a technology, a habit that now has become an addiction. Lays the groundwork. You, you think when you're 13 or 14, you're, you're just like looking at this, that, and yet it's laying the groundwork for you to totally defect on the one who died on the cross for your sins. What, what lays the groundwork here? Especially the things you expect, but also the things you might not expect. I, I, I've watched it. I mean, my heart breaks when, when work becomes this all-consuming passion, having this particular title, and it means everything. It means too much, and you're willing to even sacrifice these other relationships. You're willing to betray what Jesus has said because this work thing has you, or, or maybe not even work, maybe a hobby, begins to consume more and more and more of your time, and you realize you don't have affection for the person that you committed your life to because you've given it all all that affection to something else or someone else. I'm just telling you, be careful. Be careful. Keep devoting yourself to good. So I, I think at Ogletown today, there's likely a, a group of people who, praise the Lord, things are going well for you in these areas. And I would imagine there's those of us where you'd say, maybe for one or both of these things, things are actually, Curtis, not going so well. They're not. If we're like we raised our hands and had public shaming, you know, my hand would have to go up. You might say, I, I, I struggle here. What I hope you know, what I hope we can reiterate again and again is that Ogletown is a, is a people, is a place of grace, and grace makes space, never condoning, never excusing, never, like, affirming what God, what God denies when God says is wrong. But at the same time, we hang in there. We hang in there for people We hang in there for people because we know God saves us and transforms us and gives us help and forgives us and gives us mercy. So we have an agenda as members. It's not like we have no agenda. We have an agenda, and that agenda is a greater devotion to Jesus, greater glory to him, greater enjoyment of the life he's called us to live, an all-in commitment to him, an all-in commitment to each other. So what do I say to you if you say, I'm struggling and I'm losing? Here's, here's if, if we were even having a one-to-one conversation, probably what I'd tell you, not knowing all the specifics of your situation, I'd say, first, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart because there are some things, even as I speak, that might seem hopeless. This fight against lust, this sustaining a, a tough marriage, it, it might seem hopeless. So what I want you is not to lose hope in the Lord. I want to make sure your theology stays intact. So I don't want you to begin doubting the goodness of God going, well, apparently like 85% of the people got dealt a good hand. I was just one of those that didn't because God's not that good to me. Or actually God seems to be powerful for lots of things, but this seems to be that one little sliver of things that is actually impossible for even God. Or to doubt his wisdom. Well, it seems like he has a great plan for others' lives, but it didn't work out so well for me. So I just got to kind of take care of myself. I just want to urge you, don't, don't lose heart. If you begin to sense yourself losing heart, then, then talk to someone because faith is what will drive us to believe that obeying Jesus really is for my good. At times, these commands will seem hard, if not impossible. And if our faith isn't really in Jesus, what we'll do, what I promise you I will do, what, what you will do is go, ah, it's not that bad. It really won't hurt that much. I think Jesus would really want me to, and so begins the path. 
But when we say, I will hope in the Lord, I will not doubt in the dark what God showed me in clear light. I'm not going to lose heart. I'm going to tighten my grip on the promises of God. I'm not going to pretend, but I'm going to believe that God will reward my devotion to him in this area. God will reward those mornings, those afternoons, those evenings when I struggled and fought against lust for him. God will reward that. Don't lose heart. Secondly, don't bring things to light. Don't, don't hide things. Bring things to light before the Lord. Maybe that's prayer. Often that'll be confession. Find Psalm 32, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Blot out my transgressions. Lord, forgive me, Lord. Against you I've sinned. I, I've heard it said, I've said it before here, sin grows well in the dark. Sin grows really well in the dark. But when you bring it to light and you say, God, this is, this, I'm not pretending this is, this is where things are and it's not good. And then when you bring others into it, see, this is what, no one's omniscient, right? So even my best of friends, they don't know what's always going on in my mind. They're not omnipresent. They don't know where I am all the time. So it actually takes me bringing others into my world, asking for their prayers, asking for their prayers even specifically. Here is where I'm going to struggle. Here is where the situation with my marriage. They don't know that they don't have the gift of omniscience or omnipresence. They don't know unless I bring that to light and go, you're a good friend. I need you to pray. What if we had a place where teenagers could even bring things to light, sons could bring things to light with their dads? I mean, this almost seems like an alternate universe. But what if if God gave grace for that? For daughters to have real conversations with their moms about what it means to walk with the Lord in these areas. I'm so grateful for student ministry workers and even our children's ministry workers who are like surrounding these students with godly counsel and godly advice. We need it. We need you. We need you to keep doing that. What if if we could bring it to light? Because if you deprive yourself of your church family and you you kid yourself, well, I'm going to go it alone again. I'm just going to tell God I'll stop. And you never bring it to light. How many times have you known that path has only led to more and more sexual sin? And, and one, one thing I would have to say with bringing things to light is do it sooner rather than later. This is what, what just breaks my heart. It's like, man, if we would have had that discussion three years ago about the, the warning signs that you knew then were, 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 were troubling about your marriage. You knew it then. And maybe you even, you, you saw that counselor one time for 45 minutes, but it didn't quite work out, and you go, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. See, I tried that. You go, really? You tried that? You tried that? 45 minutes, that's a try? And, and you're done? You're going to walk away? Why not bring it to light earlier rather than later? Why not lean into this? If, if marriage really matters that much to Jesus, why not, why not bring others in for help and for counsel? And lastly, I, I think it goes without saying, but I, I would encourage you to stay in the fight. Stay in the fight. Put on the full armor of God. Pray. Reach out to community. Because disobeying Jesus' words, 
See, I've never seen Jesus' words disobeyed that didn't net a bunch of complicated things, sometimes just a billion complicated things. So why, why does Jesus emphasize marriage? So he gives like six commands in Matthew 5, and two of them are this. So a third of the commands he gives are, are on this subject of marriage. I think it's because all throughout the Bible, marriage is this picture of his love for his people, his relationship with his people. I think marriage is just the snapshot of the reality. I came across this in my reading. This is a book called Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel by Ray Ortland. And this is a longer section. I'm going to read this, and then we'll be done. This is why I think it matters so much to Jesus, matters so much to our church, that we think well and we think rightly about marriage. So Ray Ortland says this, why, why do people feel the stirrings of romance and start spending time together and take long walks hand in hand and long for one another when apart? Why do they even write poetry and sing along to our song and fall so head over heels in love that they finally jump into the mega commitment of marriage There is a reason for this very human experience. And the reason is not only what God did back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, but also, and even more, what God has done in uniting Christ with his church. The eternal romance, not in the final analysis, the love of the couple getting married, but the love of Jesus for us and our joyful deference to him. The eternal love story is why God created the universe and why God gave us marriage in Eden and why couples fall in love and get married in the world today. Every time a bride and groom stand there and take their vows, they are reenacting the biblical love story, whether they realize it or not. The Son of God stepping down out of eternity, entering time, taking on flesh, pursuing and winning his bride as his very heart and body with his inmost sincere love, so that he can fit her to be with him forever above. That dramatic super-reality is the breathtaking reason why human marriage exists. Yeah, that, that's why we devote ourselves to marriage. That's why we urge people who aren't married to be pure in their hearts and in their minds and in their bodies, to be on guard with whoever they give their heart to. This is why we guard, protect, honor marriage. This is why even when we fall and make a mess of it, we say, let's let's restore it if we can. Let's do this. This is why we confess and forsake sexual sin that drives a wedge between us and the Lord because Jesus died for that fellowship to be restored. When we see marriage, when we see marriage, we see something close to the gracious, loving heart of God for his people in all purity and in all permanence. And Jesus says, that is worth protecting. That is worth protecting. So may our church do that. Can I pray? We've heard you speak, Lord. We don't try to twist, manipulate anything you said. We want to just say, Lord, what you say goes. And where we find a hard time obeying even today, when we find our own complicated situation I pray that we would run to help, not away from it. Oh, Lord, I pray that marriages might be protected and spared, 
that might go off the rails in years because of some conversations that might even happen this afternoon or this coming week. Lord, I pray for all of us as we try to guard our hearts in just an overly sexualized world that seems to highlight all kinds of benefits and and downplay any sort of cost, and yet we know. We know that's foolishness. So give us eyes to see it, Lord, and help us to do what you've told us to do. We feel, Lord, that the world's press in this area is strong, but we know, we know beyond a shadow of doubt you're stronger. So give us faith to believe that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.